This week on Geek Explained, with the demand for streaming services and binge-worthy shows at an all-time high, we're counting down the very best in the world of comic book adaptations. So join us for our top five bingeable comic book shows. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Zana, and today's episode is all about binging TV shows, specifically comic book TV shows. There have been a ton. There have been a huge amount, especially in the past decade. But here on this episode, we're going to count down the top five that you should watch if you haven't or give them a rewatch during this time of self-isolation, quarantine, lockdown stuff. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of Harley Quinn Season 2, as well as this week's Comics Callback. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, so let's talk news. Um, first off, we have two categories. We have two categories full of news this week out of our normal four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No TV news, no miscellaneous news this week, but we do have some news for both film and comics. I'm going to dive into the film stuff first. So we got an official confirmation uh, from Marvel Studios that Mr. Sam Raimi is returning to the Marvel Universe to direct Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. This has been rumored for, I, I want to say, about a month now, but uh, getting the official confirmation from Sam Raimi himself is really cool. I, and I'm sure a ton of people, are really excited at the prospect of having him back in the Marvel world, now getting to play with an even bigger sandbox than what he had in the uh, original Spider-Man films. So I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to seeing, especially like, what he ends up doing with the horror aspect because we have heard reports before that um dr strange 2 was supposed to be more of a horror style film not necessarily a straight on horror film which is apparently one of the reasons that scott derrickson uh left the project but seeing raimi's horror sensibilities his superhero sensibilities his camp sensibilities um is really exciting and i'm the prospect of that is really, really cool. And I'm even more excited to just see where he ends up fitting Bruce Campbell. Because you know, since it's a, a Sam Raimi joint, that Bruce Campbell will be appearing. Will he finally appear as another multiverse world uh, Mysterio? It's always possible. We'll see. Uh, also, jumping to the other side of the Riverbank. Uh, DC and Warner Brothers have officially announced that The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves and starring Robert Pattinson, uh, has been delayed officially. It was supposed to come out, 
I think around June of um, next year of 2021, but it has now been moved back to an October 1st, 2021 release. So just a few months. We knew kind of that this was going to happen just because of all of the coronavirus stuff, lots of um, movie studios getting shut down or postponing development of certain films, but it's... um, it's it sucks that we have to wait a little bit longer but as long as people are staying safe and we will get the movie eventually i'm okay with it they also announced two new uh release dates for both shazam 2 as well as the flash film which i think is hilarious that we still think it's going to happen uh i and that that sounds cynical but i just there's been so much that's happened over the course of its pre-production um the film hasn't even gone into production yet and it was supposed to come out in july of 2022 but apparently dc and warner brothers feel so strong about it that they are moving it up not back up they are moving it up to june 3rd of 2022 so a whole month ahead no idea why but apparently they believe that this film is still getting made and it's gonna it's gonna do well enough to um i guess carry the weight of responsibility that it's had for years at this point so uh shazam 2 has also been delayed from april of 2022 to november 4th of 2022 so again more of a um fall slash winter release which i think worked um even though it I, I think if, especially if they decide to go with the Christmas concept again, because the first movie was very much based around winter, Christmas, that kind of thing. And it really helped to, I think, um, translate the kind of whimsy and kid-friendly stuff that the film was trying to get across. Um, if they're trying to head up that same kind of vibe, I think putting it closer to Christmas makes a lot of sense. So I'm all for it. So we'll see all of these uh, film tidbits when it comes to the news this week have been really exciting. But over in the comics realm, it's getting pretty interesting. So this past week, DC has announced that even though Diamond, its usual distributor that shut down mid-March, Um, is still looking at plans to reopen. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, DC is going to be moving forward with their uh, in-person hard copy releases. Uh, They're going to be using two new distributions. That's uh, Lunar and UCS, which are subsidiaries of Midtown Comics. And they are planning at at the time of this recording, of course, to get their first wave of new books out on April 20th. 28th that's in a week (laughs) um and another notable thing is that that's not on a wednesday that's on a tuesday so um turning the entire comic book industry on its head by just shifting their release a whole day it's really strange um i don't know why they are planning on doing this but I guess they're just trying to get their stuff out. Um, They did release... Let me pull up the page here. They did release the comics that they are going to be um, shipping out from April 28th all the way through Tuesday, uh, May 12th. So I'm just going to go ahead and read them off 
and uh, we will see where it goes. So on Tuesday, April 28th, we're going to get the uh, Batman number 89 third printing. Uh, a lot of these are just kind of reprints, like Batman 89 is getting a reprint on here. Nightwing number 70 is getting a reprint. Um, and that's in Batman Giant. It, Number four is all like reprints. Uh, the only two new actual comics that are coming out on this day are Daphne Byrne, number four. No idea. And The Dreaming, number 20. So um, that is for April 28th. The next week, Tuesday, May 5th, we're going to see Batman and the Outsiders, number 12. The Flash, number 753. The Green Lantern, season 2, number 3. Hawkman, number 23. House of Whispers, number 20. And Joker slash Harley, Criminal Sanity, number 4. And then finally, the next week, we're going to see Harley Quinn, number 72. Justice League number 44, Justice League Odyssey number 20, Lois Lane number 10, and Metal Men number 6. I don't know about you, I am not really interested in any of the comics that are spinning out of this, that are going to be released during this time. Um, I am slowly catching up on uh, Grant Morrison's Green Lantern right now. It's kind of a, a slow going, because I'm very... Um, I'm not against, but I, I have to acclimate to Liam Sharp's art because his art is very stylized. And so I am slowly trying to work my way through that. Uh, Flash number 753 is probably the closest one that sound that I'm interested in. But other than that, it's like at, at three weeks, why would they bring the stuff back? Especially that first week on April 28th when it's only going to be two books that, I mean, no disrespect to Daphne Byrne and the Dreaming fans. I'm not reading those books. Like, why would I? Anyway, um, so that is their plan right now. Uh, we are going to see exactly what is going on with that lunar and ucs are much smaller distribution companies so we're gonna see exactly what they do when they step into the realm of you know trying to fill the shoes of diamond diamond on the other hand is looking at targeting a mid mid to late may reopen um so Basically, if the timeline works out and DC ends up going back to Diamond once it reopens, DC is just going to have like this weird three-week period where they're putting out their own books, and then all of a sudden, like the week after that or two weeks after that, we will see them join back up with Diamond. So I guess like from a business standpoint, maybe it makes sense that you're getting kind of a head up on the rest of your competition. But for me, I just I don't really. I don't know. If you were, if that was the plan, then I would put your, you know, put your foot forward with better books or more, not better books necessarily, but books that have a wider reading fan base. Uh, like James Tynan. James Tynan just announced that his next issue of Batman is going to come out in early June. Like that's what they're shooting for for the next issue to come out and like that would have been a really good book to basically throw up onto the slate for april 28th to say hey dc comics is back and we're back with batman but who knows i'm not in charge i don't know what you know is going on when it comes to the business 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 stuff with that but uh that also you know 
has an interesting question for our newest segment, the comics callback. What will I be doing during those weeks until we get um, Diamond reopening their stuff? Uh, whenever, wherever that happens. Um, for those three weeks, I am planning on just kind of continuing as normal. Like I said, I'm not really interested in the books that they have announced for their initial slate for DC for those first three weeks. And I think it's a much better use of my time and of your time as a listener for me to continue the comics callback during those weeks, talking about comics that I think you should go back and read, comics that are what you know readily available to you, depending on your comic reading platform of choice. And I... I've honestly been really enjoying this segment and kind of building this up, getting into that and really finding out what I can make that segment into. So um, I'm going to be continuing on with the comics callback even through um, DC's, you know, soft open, we call them in the restaurants. And um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But that is going to do it for this week's news. We're now going to move on to the main course of the episode the entree if you will which is our top five comic book shows that you should binge So, I don't know about you, but I've been spending a lot of my quarantine getting caught up on shows. Like, around this time, when you you start to run out of um, meaningful conversations to have with your roommate, you go towards um, just entertainment, whether that be comic books, whether that be podcasts, whether that be uh, TV shows. And for me, what... It, What's nice, what's been nice about this whole uh, quarantine lockdown thing is that I'm still able to watch stuff, whether it's on Netflix, on Hulu, uh, DC Universe. DC Universe does not sponsor this podcast, but they could totally sponsor this podcast. And watching shows, whether it's for the first time or rewatching them, you know, to get a, a different perspective. Um, affords a lot of relief when it comes to escapism. Gets us out of the normal day-to-day -day stuff that's happening in the world that kind of sucks and pulls us into worlds that are fun. Not always fun, but, you know, you get to jump into this world with these characters and experience these stories that kind of take you away and get your mind off of it, whether it's for half an hour, an hour, whatever. And... What's been really great is that we have so many comic book TV shows to watch, to catch up on, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about my personal top five comic book TV shows that you can binge right now, and I'll be 
talking about each show, you know, where you can find it, how many seasons, whatnot. But uh, before we get to the list, I'm going to roll through some quick honorable mentions. Uh, because when I was trying to put this list together, there were just too many shows. <laughs> there are a lot of shows. And so uh, narrowing them down to five was pretty difficult, but I managed to do it. And these are the honorable mentions that just barely missed the list. Uh, first off, Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones, you can find all three seasons on Netflix. Great, great show. Uh, I would say arguably... The first season is probably the best, and I would say uh, season two and season three don't really get to the heights of what the show can be, though I will say similarly to another Netflix show that we'll be talking about later on, um, the first season's probably the best, then the third season, then the second season. That's just my viewing order. Um, when it comes to quality, and of course my uh, parameters of quality are going to be different from yours, but that's how I like it. It's a great show, um, hampered only by the fact that it was dealing with a very limited budget and actually got rid of its most interesting villain after the end of the first season spoilers but um it's a great show and if you haven't watched it or you haven't watched it in a while i would definitely at least at the very least give that first season a rewatch uh, next up we have legion you can find all seasons of legion i think i believe there's three seasons um on hulu legion is weird like there have been shows in the past couple of years and shows that I will talk about on this list that have been like, okay, it's wacky. It's kind of like, it's a little, you know, off the beaten path. It's weird. But Legion is weird. And that makes it really refreshing that it's a show that you wouldn't really get that it's a comic book show unless you had the prior knowledge going into it. Um, Legion kind of centers around uh, the eponymous character of Legion, also known as David Haller, the son of Moira McTaggart and Charles Xavier. Uh, they do a really nice little nod to him at the... Uh, end of season one and the nods just keep getting bigger throughout the show uh it's really just a fun show looking at mental health when it comes to the realm of mutants and powers and gifted ones and aubrey plaza puts in one of my favorite performances of hers in this show so definitely definitely go check it out also, the boys the boys you can find on amazon prime it is just a fantastic watch. If you uh, are looking for something that is not really traditional superhero media that you can really kind of sink your teeth into and get, I guess, a more realistic take, probably the most realistic take on how superheroes and that whole uh, genre would affect our world if they were real. The Boys is an excellent watch, full of great, great performances and a really awesome cliffhanger ending. Next up, we have Arrow slash The Flash. And really, I would include all of the uh, Arrowverse shows, the exception of one, uh, on this, in this little um, uh, honorable mention. Because 
as a universe, we really haven't seen anything quite as expansive when it comes to TV and comic book TV shows as this uh, as this DC TV universe. And really, the bread and butter, the uh, heart and soul of that has always been Arrow and the Flash. Um, I have I've been a Flash guy. Between the two, I think the second season of Arrow is probably the best season, though the last season of Arrow was also fantastic. Really, really good stuff. And overall, Arrow is a show of highs and lows. It was the first of its kind and really, you know, birthed the universe. And so they were kind of given a freedom to come up with stuff on the fly, and you see that throughout the show. Um, The Flash, at the same point, uh, was basically tasked with, hey, Arrow's been really grounded in realism and, like, you know, making it as close to, like, a Nolan treatment on the Green Arrow character as possible. Let's put the Speed Force into this. Let's put metahumans into this and throughout that show you really get to see them grow not just in um character but also in production design and costume design um in performance it's really great watching those shows grow and change as they go along so i would definitely give those a watch for sure and then finally on the honorable mentions we have krypton krypton uh tragically Tragically canceled after two seasons. Uh, Krypton is on uh, sci-fi. You can find the first season on DC Universe. Though, when when the second season is supposed to come to DC Universe, I have no idea. Um, but this show really was a cool freaking concept. You know you're going to get me in the room if you put Superman in your show. That's just, that's how I work. That's how my brain works. That's what happens. Um, but this show said to me, hey, we want you to be invested in the characters before Superman showed up. And you run a really fine line whenever you do stuff like that, because it can either, you know, be something that's really freaking compelling and really gets you to kind of forget that the source material is even there because you get so invested in these characters, or you can be like Gotham, where <laughs> the show just didn't know what it wanted to be until like the final two seasons and really got lost among the slew of comic book shows that sprouted up over the course of the 2010s. And thankfully, I would say that Krypton really sticks the landing, the superhero landing. And it takes place, you know, decades before Superman is even born and centers around Seg-El, played by Cameron Cuff, who plays, or who is um, Superman's grandfather, father of Jor-El. And you get to see this, um, this society that's built up. You get a fantastic performance I don't want to spoil it, but um, the show is just really good. Uh, Seg-El is beset upon by one Adam Strange, who has gained a lot of traction in the last year or so due to the release of Strange Adventures, who is basically from the future and tells him, hey, your, your grandson is the greatest hero in the entire universe, and his existence is 
under threat, so you need to help me. And from what it develops there, it starts to bring in iconic Superman iconography while also blazing its own path. And it is an absolute freaking shame that it was canceled after two seasons, especially because Cameron Cuff is such a huge Superman fan, and I respect that. So that is it for the honorable mentions. We are now going to move into the top five list for the comic book shows that I think you should binge. And coming in, coming in hot at number five is The Umbrella Academy. You can find the entire first season on on Netflix. The second season is supposed to come out sometime this year, I think. And Umbrella Academy really surprised me because I did not enjoy the comic. When I first read, when I read the first volume of Umbrella Academy back when it was coming out in 2007, I was really just the wrong audience for it. And I didn't enjoy it. The art seemed really off-center to me. I wasn't a fan of the art. The writing, you know, complimenting that was good, but it wasn't, it seemed unfocused and it didn't seem like it knew what it wanted to be. And so when they announced that Umbrella Academy would be coming to Netflix, I wasn't sure exactly what that meant. Uh, But what I was so pleased to find out and what I was pleasantly surprised by is that Umbrella Academy takes the source material and really runs its own race with it. And I absolutely freaking adore this show. Uh, For context, I love binging shows. Uh, That's why the Marvel Netflix shows were specifically tailored to my viewership because as soon as they would drop i would spend the next 48 hours binging the entire show um my partner sammy is not a binger she can only watch maybe one or two episodes of a thing before she has to shift gears and watch something else Umbrella Academy was the very first show in the half decade that we have been together that we binged over the course of a weekend. She could not get enough of it. And that really comes down to the characters. The characters are fantastic. The cast is so fun and dynamic, each of them bringing a different aspect of this team that fills in the other's weaknesses, both narratively as well as performance-wise. The basic premise of the show is that on October 1st, 1989, 43 different women all around the world gave birth simultaneously. Now, that might not seem weird, but the weird part is none of them were pregnant until they went into labor. So, that beyond by itself is just strange but it's compounded by the eccentric billionaire sir reginald hargreaves who adopts seven of them and turns them into a superhero team called the umbrella academy now this series focuses on these seven kids as adults. So when we meet them initially, all of these kids have already gone through the superhero child actor phase where everyone is so in love with them, they've got merchandise and stuff, and now they're all older, bit bitter adults, having left the superhero life behind, well most of them have, and have moved on with their lives with kind of a cynical view of their superhero fame as children. 
So you get to follow six of these kids throughout this show when um, an event happens, basically Hargreaves dies, and all of them, for the first time in years, are brought back to their old childhood home to deal with his death. And what happens there is an entire season of just incredible storytelling that takes a premise that I, as a comics fan, wasn't interested in in the comic, but in the show, completely blew me away. Um, That also comes down to the soundtrack. I'm a huge fan of really well-implemented soundtracks and scores. If you have songs that, besides, you know, having a great orchestration, if you have songs that properly convey the emotion of the scene or the characters within that scene playing during a show even if it's a pop song even if it's a song that um i had heard before and on paper doesn't really fit the scene you've got me hooked and what the show does really well is it utilizes a kick-ass soundtrack to really convey how not just the characters are feeling but how you as the viewer should feel and that helps not to um, get you lost in a lot of the, mind you, eccentric exposition that happens. A lot of weird stuff happens. The kids, or I guess the adults now, all have different abilities. And some of them are straightforward and some of them are a bit more cerebral. So you get to watch how these this family interacts both with each other and with the greater world around them. Some of them went off to become famous actresses. Some of them, you know, continue the fight to this day as an embittered vigilante. And you get to see how their childhoods shaped them and how it shaped their relationships with each other. And when it comes down to it, the relationships is really what drives this show besides the kick-ass con, uh, the kick-ass soundtrack. It absolutely does. But, I am a big fan of dysfunctional super super families, and this one does it really, really well. Like I said, you can find the first season on Netflix. The second season should be coming out hopefully sometime this year, knock on wood. And that does it for number five. At number four, I mentioned before that all of the uh, Arrowverse shows are... An honorable mention with the exception of one and that one is black lightning i know i'm surprised too but black lightning was such a revelation for me i just started watching it uh in january because i wanted to get caught up because i knew black lightning would be appearing in um part f- part four i'm gonna say part four I believe it's part four. Um, Part four onwards of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I hadn't been watching Black Black Lightning. I had been recommended it before, um, but I was already watching, you know, five different shows at that point. And I just, I couldn't wrap my head around adding another to the list. But because all the shows were on hiatus, I was able to finally sit down and watch the first two seasons, and boy, oh frickin' boy, is it good. 
Now, the premise goes something like this. High school principal Jefferson Pierce, who retired from his superhero persona of Black Lightning nine years ago after it basically nearly drove his family apart, is forced to become a vigilante again when the rise of the local gang called the 100 leads to increased crime and corruption in his community of Freeland. So, right off the bat, what I love about Black Lightning is that it is so far removed from the other Arrowverse shows. One thing that has always kind of been at the back of my mind and is admittedly a knock on the Arrowverse is that at a certain point, the interconnectivity forces the shows within that um, umbrella to kind of feel like the same show. Arrow kind of evolved from this super like grounded gritty um, crime drama into a more comic booky world and i mean largely that has to do with the flash but as shows started to come on like batwoman like legends of tomorrow supergirl those shows all included new characters in their leads but all felt very similar black lightning does not and that is because for up until the point of crisis on infinite earths black lightning took place on a different earth completely away from every other single piece of arrowverse superhero ing so for black lightning he's the only superhero at this point and it, it breathes a new life into this kind of storytelling format. Um, the show, its first three, first three seasons, I believe, are on Netflix right now. You can go check them out. But the world is so interesting because it's so um, interconnected. This person knows this person who is connected to this person, and that person has been the mortal enemy of the first person. And it's like the interconnected relationships are all over the place, and they're very, very strong. Even with, admittedly, you know, sometimes weaker actors and weaker storylines, the character relationships are always ringing true. And for me, and I... I'm sure you can tell this by now, I get very invested in relationships. Even if the story isn't great, which Black Lightning's story is great, the characters, and if you can sell me a great relationship, whether that be familial, whether that be friendship, whether that be romantic, I am in, and I will be invested in those characters. And what Black Lightning does so well is it takes every single character even outside of the Pierce family, and makes them matter in their story based on their relationships to other people. There's a character um, who goes by the name Painkiller over the course of the show who I could not be bothered to care about in the first season. Um, I just didn't I, I didn't care about him as a character because he was very one note. But what they did over the course of the second season was really get me invested in him and his relationships. And by the time that the second season ended, I was all in on the character. And so if you can do that, if you can make me change my mind on a character, I think that's just worth the price of admission alone. Uh, and that's nothing to say, that's not even to say that the um, the show 
in itself, when compared to other uh, DCTV shows, is incredibly short and concise. The first season is only 13 episodes, and while season 2 and season 3 are 16 episodes each, that's still a far cry from the 23 to 26 episodes that we see regularly every season on the other shows. So that makes for tight storytelling with with little to no filler. There are some fillers here and there, but every single episode pushes the plot forward through its characters. This also deals with the idea that I just think is not brought up enough that superhero, um, being a superhero will have an effect on your day-to-day life, especially if you're a father, especially if you're a member of your community, and especially if you are in a committed relationship. And what this show does, especially in the th- in the first season, it really examines the toll that vigilantism will take on all of your relationships throughout your career. Uh, Black Lightning at the beginning of this has been retired for almost a decade because his he got too deep in on his war against crime and it drove his family apart, caused his kids to become disconnected from him and caused his wife to divorce him. And so when he is brought back into the story, he is someone who has left the life behind and is basically, you know, pulled by... He's basically pulled, you know, scratching and clawing away back into the life of being a superhero. And watching him now have to juggle that along with his adult responsibilities is really, really fun and interesting to watch. Um, A lot of times we get stuck on this idea of teenage superheroes, of superheroes that don't have any kind of... um, any kind of, like, worldly attachments. You know, characters like Tony Stark, who, like, everyone can know he's Tony Stark, and it's fine, because he's a billionaire, and he, you know, never wants for anything. But with Black Lightning, he needs a secret identity. He is a school principal. He needs people to not know that he's also a superhero. And so watching him juggle both those identities is really good and brings back it harkens back to the original concept of superman and clark kent the idea of a dual identity and how that affects each side of you regardless of how much emphasis you put on either one it's really fun a great dynamic and i think every single character especially Cress Williams as Jefferson Pierce, sells it beautifully. Cress Williams is a fantastic actor who really embodies the spirit of Jefferson Pierce, and he does such a great job grounding the character while also juggling the more fantastical elements, all of the metahuman abilities, you know, dealing with something as, you know, ludicrous and at, and at the same time you know we see it day to day as the 100 which are a gang led by tobias whale who is a deep cut dc character um all the performances are really really strong there's there are very few weak ones among the bunch the episodes are really strong the storytelling is great the season arcs are fantastic and right now i'm in the middle of catching up on season three and it is just as good as the first two seasons this is a show that consistently keeps a a 
consistent tone as well as quality throughout each of its seasons. And if you're tired of watching shows steadily get worse as seasons go on, give this one a shot. You won't regret it. Moving on down the list to number three, which is the Doom Patrol. The Doom Patrol, I knew was going to be fantastic, but I had no idea it was going to be this freaking good. You can find the first season of Doom Patrol on the DC Universe streaming service and app, and I highly recommend you do so because it is incredible. Premise goes a little like this. Doom Patrol follows the unlikely heroes of the Doom Patrol, who all receive their powers through tragic circumstances and are generally shunned by society. Most members of the team were treated by the Chief, a medical doctor who gave them residence in his mansion to help protect them from the outside world. However, that peace is shattered when the Chief is captured by the malevolent Mr. Nobody, sending the Doom Patrol on a journey to rescue him. Along the way, they discover secrets about themselves and of the Chief, secrets that will forever change not just their past, but also their future. Now, the Doom Patrol is comprised of Jane, also known as Crazy Jane, Rita Farr, also known as the Elastigirl, Larry Trainer, who is known as Mr. Negative, Cliff Steele, Robot Man, and Victor Stone, Cyborg. You may have heard me talk about Doom Patrol before on ranking the DC Universe streaming service originals. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and check that out. That can be almost kind of an addendum to this list as well if you have the DC Universe app and you're looking for what to watch first. But this show just is, ah, it's so, so freaking good. Um, from the premise, from the opening credits, I knew this show was going to be special. Um, we talked before about weird shows, Legion, Umbrella Academy. This show stands right up next to them, and it's weird. It's really freaking weird. There are talking insects. There is a donkey that farts out portals to other dimensions. You know, it's a weird, nonsensical show that never takes itself too seriously, but also, in that regard, takes itself very seriously. The character relationships they take very seriously. The trauma that each of these characters suffer through over the course of not only their backstories, but also the events of the show, is treated very seriously. Their struggles with their identity, their struggles with past abuse, their struggles with changing inherently who they are, are right at the core of this show. Uh, characters like Larry Trainer, who is played by Matt Bomer in one of my favorite, if not my favorite, role by him, is one of my favorite characters strictly because of the journey that he goes on from this show. Each of these characters are a reflection of their um, of their day and age. Rita Farr was a 50s um, actress. Larry Trainer was a fighter pilot in the 60s, so on and so forth. And watching all of those sensibilities kind of clash and also mash is really cool. Bringing in a really well-known character like Cyborg into this also brings a new dynamic because you get to 
really play around with how Cyborg is viewed not just by the world at large as a superhero and a former member of the Justice League, but also with the individual characters. All of them look at him, they're like, what is Cyborg doing here? And that kind of... Um, Meta commentary is really, I think, really interesting and really brings another aspect to it that you don't often see with that character. Uh, Alan Tudyk plays Mr. Nobody and is just one of the most fun villains that you have ever seen in a comic book TV show. Um, he's having a blast all the way through in the fact that he is he's omnipotent. He is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And so he gets to break the fourth wall a lot. He gets to narrate. There's a whole sequence in this show where he is narrating as the heroes are like trying to figure out how to kill him. And it's so fun and it's so self-aware, but it never takes itself um, away from actually trying to tell a story. And... I think it is absolutely worth your time to go and check out. And season two is supposed to come out both on DC Universe as well as HBO Max. So it's a good time to jump on in and refresh yourself on the Doom Patrol. At number two, these top two were, were pretty difficult for me, kind of ranking them. They went back and forth. But at the end of the day, number two is Watchmen. And I will freely admit it right now, if you have this at your number one, I will not argue with you. Because at the end of the day, Watchmen is honestly a triumph. This show, which is so, um, basically had the cards stacked against it for it to be good. The weight of the expectations on it, the studio behind it, the, the fact that Watchmen as a concept and an idea is kind of played out nowadays. There was a lot going against the show, but what it does is take all of that, flip it on its head, and make you want more of this show. Uh, the show takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2019, today, 34 years after the events of the original comic. So it's a sequel to the comic specifically, and that's an important... Um, I think it's an important uh, delegation because the movie that came out in 2009 made a lot of artistic changes uh, from the source material, but the show is directly lifted from the um, from the comic. So this show takes place in, like I said, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they are essentially under siege by a white supremacist group called the Seventh Cavalry, which are inspired by Rorschach and his writings that he sent out in his journal at the end of the original story. And they are waging a violent war against minorities and the police and all of these, you know, concepts that we see in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, this kind of culminated in 2016 on Christmas Eve during an event that they called the White Knight, where uh, the cavalry attacked the homes of 40 different police officers working for the Tulsa Police Department. And of the ones who survived, there were only two members of the police force who actually stayed on. That being Detective Angela Abar and Police Chief Judd Crawford. And that is essentially where our story begins. We follow these two characters at the onset of the show. Uh, dealing with the 7th Cavalry, getting used to the world, following these events, 
laws were passed that basically turned the uh, police force into a costumed vigilante group where every single officer has a mask and the detectives and, you know, upper past that have their own superhero names angela abar who is the lead in the show played phenomenally by Re- regina king uh pl- is also known as sister knight and she is just oh she's so freaking good if you want my full uh uncut opinions on the show go back in the archives listen to our geek explain extra series we did an extra series me and uh, my good brother chris carter with a special appearance by uh, jessica morgan went through each week and we did kind of the talking dead style uh extra review series that i called watching the watchmen you can go back check that out we went episode by episode and it was it was just fantastic, man. Like, it really, really was. I absolutely loved Watchmen from start to finish. Is it a perfect show? Maybe not. But it is a show that did as much for the comic book genre, I think, as the original comic did back in 1986. And that that's, you know, I get that's a big statement to make. But I think it's true. Um, a lot of people talk about these days how political comics are and i want politics out of my comics and all of this stuff but they seem to ignore the fact that comics that they hold in such high regard v for vendetta watchmen dark knight returns are all essentially political commentary the reason that these books resonated with so many people at the times that they did was because they reflected the society that they were being you know, produced into. And that's what Watchmen does for today. They take real-world concepts, they take real-world problems, and put them in the space of a superhero crime drama. Uh, there's a conspiracy going on, there's a deep-seated mystery, there's a murder that happens at the very beginning of the show, and it just escalates from episode to episode to episode, strength to strength to strength. Every episode is better than the last, and I could not recommend it more if I tried. It is an absolutely amazing follow-up to the original graphic novel, and I have it in my headcanon that if Doomsday Clock is the... Uh, successor to Watchmen on a comic level, then Watchmen, the HBO series, is a successor to Watchmen in the media of film and television. Um, It's just a fantastic show that you can catch up on. You can watch the entire show on HBO Go slash HBO Now. There is going to be only one season from uh, the lips of director of uh, creator David Lindelof. And as far as we know, that's it for the show. Um, there's an, It has a fantastic ending. Um, it's one of those shows that you want more of, but you know that the show is pretty gosh near perfect as it is, and it's absolutely a show that you can get lost in. Uh, it covers different eras of the Watchmen universe. It covers you know, burning questions that we had at the end of the original book, as well as bringing in new characters, new ideas, new concepts, and follow-ups that 
in my view, improve the original comic after watching the show. So I think if you're a Watchmen fan, if you enjoyed the book, if you enjoyed the concept, you will absolutely come away with uh, something of value after you watch this show. But unfortunately, it just missed out on the number one spot for me. And it might be the popular pick. It might be the obvious pick. You might have known that this was number one as soon as you saw the title of this episode. But for me, the best comic book TV show that you can go right now and binge happens to be Netflix's Daredevil. Now, when it comes to comic book storytelling in the realm of television, I think that Daredevil is perfect. You can feel free to disagree with me. That's fine. But for someone who has been a lifelong fan of comic books, who found them at an early age, was immediately um, blown away by the escapism, the power fantasy, the um, fulfillment that you get from reading a really freaking good comic book. And even, you know, from reading not-so-good comic books. Um, from a kid who was bullied for liking comic books before, you know, it was super cool to like comic books. Um, Daredevil speaks to me on a spiritual level. Uh, because it's a show that knows what it is, but also is comfortable with pushing the boundaries of what it could be. Daredevil, in its three seasons, tells a tells just an incredible three-act story where blind lawyer Matthew Murdoch is the only thing standing between the kingpin and his home of Hell's Kitchen. Um, we see a lot of times when it comes to superhero storytelling, when it comes to comic book storytelling, their reach is vast. The Avengers come together and they're fighting world-breaking uh, threats. Even on, you know, some TV shows, you know, there's something that happens where it's like, the end of the world is coming. Um, Daredevil has one, one corner of New York, one corner called Hell's Kitchen. And to him, that is his world. And so what is great about Daredevil is that you get to see this man fight against not just outside forces, but also inside forces. Matt Murdock is an incredibly troubled individual who is not just um, having to deal with his blindness, his um, enhanced senses, his... Catholic upbringing, his morally gray actions, whether that be in the courtroom or out of the courtroom under a mask. Um, Charlie Cox plays Matt Murdock to absolute perfection. And, ev and even though there have been others in the past who have played Daredevil, anytime that I think about Daredevil as a character, I think about Charlie Cox's performance. When I think about Kingpin Wilson Fisk, I think about Vincent D'Onofrio's performance. What this show did was it took characters that we knew and made them iconic. You know, they took characters like Foggy Nelson, who is, you know, Daredevil's best friend, always has been, and has been a pretty integral part to um, 
to his mythos, to his character, uh, really was embraced by Eldon Henson, who plays him, and makes him into one of the most likable characters in a comic book story since Jimmy Olsen. Uh, Deborah Ann Wall, as Karen Page, plays an ingenue that also has a deadly edge. She is someone who has a very troubled past and finds herself within a whole world that she doesn't understand, and it's fantastic. You get characters like Ben Urich, Leland Owlsley, characters from the comics that we know who are given fresh spins that make them even more iconic. You get Rosario Dawson's Claire Temple. She is established in this show before she goes off and essentially becomes the Agent Coulson for the entire Netflix universe. She was utilized here in this show as the Night Nurse. Um, this show brings us, in the second season, two of the most iconic versions of characters that we've seen before, the Punisher and Elektra. John Bernthal's Punisher is pitch-perfect casting. He is up there with the casting of Tony Stark as Iron Man and Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, as an actor who is so perfectly suited for that character that it makes any other adaptation of that character look out of place by comparison. Uh, season 3 compounded upon that by giving us Wilson Bethel as Bullseye, probably the most deadly character in that entire show, and that's a show that has the Punisher and the Hand, the literal entirety of the Hand. Season 3 ups the ante and makes Bullseye just the deadliest character that Daredevil has ever faced off against. The action is fantastic, the storytelling is great, even though there are certain episodes that are could be generally considered filler. They are episodes that drive the momentum of the story forward, that intricately and profoundly shape and develop the relationships between all of these characters. And it so perfectly translates what I think is really at the heart of Daredevil as a character, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, his story is about the triumph of the human spirit. This is about someone who is fighting against every single inner demon to make his world, not the world, his world, a better place, regardless of how dark that makes him. And so you get to see across all three seasons this character, this person, this human being, develop and grow and change over the course of this show, and it's fantastic. Do I wish there were more seasons? Absolutely! But if you look at how the show begins and how the show ends, it is a perfect three-act story that, in every season, delivers. I would say personally, and I said this, you know, earlier with our other Netflix, um, our other Netflix Marvel inclusion, Jessica Jones, I would say, again, season two is probably the weakest of the three. It would go for me one... Mm, one and three could change sometimes. But for me, right now, looking at it, one, three, two. But that is not even to say that two is a bad show, because it absolutely is not. Um, the show... Every single season knocked it out of the park. The fight scenes are incredibly dynamic. The choreography is off the charts. I don't need to tell you about the hallway fights. You've already heard about the hallway fights. They are incredible. 
Every single bit of action, every single bit of fight choreography is so well understood and so well translated and given to the audience in a way that even if you had never seen a superhero show before, you can easily understand. And that makes not just the visuals exciting, but also the stakes and the characters exciting. Every single episode brings a new problem. Every single season brings a new overarching villain. And throughout that, you have the war between Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk. The war between Daredevil and the Kingpin. It is a three-act story where Daredevil needs to find a way to triumph over the Kingpin without killing him. And as time goes on, that second piece of the equation starts to slowly slip away. And you get to see the ultimate temptation of Matt Murdock, who has made the oath that he will never kill... And you get to watch him push to his limits of keeping that oath. It is incredible comic book storytelling. It is incredible superhero storytelling. And it's just incredible storytelling in general. I don't need to tell you how good it is because you already know. And even, you know, I get it would be a little rude and obnoxious for me to say you're wrong if you don't like the show if you don't think it's good that being said you are wrong because this show is perfection is the show you know god's gift to superheroes maybe maybe probably not but maybe but for me it is the greatest superhero storytelling that we've seen on the small screen and i would be hard pressed to find something that beats it out for me in my personal opinion so um that is the list uh for a recap we've got um at number five let me pull up the list again, sorry. At number five, we have The Umbrella Academy. At number four, we have Black Lightning. Number three is Doom Patrol. At number two, we have Watchmen. And the reigning champion at number one is Daredevil. Um, could this change? Absolutely. Uh, you know, Watchmen, Daredevil, trying to decide between the two that was like trying to pick your two favorite children. It's like... What am I going to do with this? But uh, for me, even though Watchmen, I think, was an incredible story that they told in exactly the amount of time that they needed to, the journey that you go on with Daredevil is so much more impactful and is so much more... Um, you get so much more invested in it because you know the characters involved. You are able to sympathize and relate to the characters, even the villain characters. And you're really able to watch them grow and change and develop into not just who they could be, but who they should be. And this could change. You know, we are right now in the golden age of superhero and comic book media. You know, there are new shows being pitched all the time. I missed it in the news, but, you know, they just announced that J.J. Abrams uh, is going to be helming a Justice League Dark show for a HBO Max. Could that be incredible? It absolutely could. Um, and, you know, we're going to see stuff like this all the time. We're going to see more superhero shows, more comic book shows pop up all over the place. And that's what's really fun and great and fascinating. You know, this list could completely be upended, you know, come next year. 
you know, we do have that Green Lantern show also coming to HBO Max on the horizon, which could blow everything away. We don't know. But what's fantastic about, you know, a time like this, and I'm so, I'm so tired of hearing, you know, in times like these, uh, we'll peek behind the curtain for me. I'm also a voice actor who has been doing multiple auditions during this time and you know there have been so many auditions that start off with in times like these it's important blah 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 and you know you get tired of hearing that stuff but honestly you know as cliche and played out at this point as it is you know it's true like this is the best time to go back and catch up on stuff you missed or to go back and rewatch stuff that you you know haven't watched in a while during this you know quarantine lockdown time i got introduced to shows like my hero academia i got turned on to re-watching shows like gravity falls like mad men and honestly like daredevil and getting to watch those shows again with a fresh perspective after not seeing them for a while really made them pop and reminded me just how good they could be and just how inspiring they could be and i think you know at the end of the day, that's really what comic book storytelling is about. Telling stories about real people in unreal situations that awe and inspire. You can turn the world on with a smile. Take a nothing day and make it all seem It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing episode three of Harley Quinn season two, titled Trapped. Uh, this episode is probably, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's probably my favorite episode so far. Um, last episode, I will say, wasn't as good as the the uh season premiere but this one really just oh so freaking good um so the episode starts off with harley and her gang focusing on the next person in line on her hit list which is mr freeze however mr freeze's um territory i guess in new new gotham is completely walled off by ice and so Harley has to devise a plan to get in, which involves finding the old flamethrower of Firefly. And while, I mean, Firefly's not really using it right now, that flamethrower is currently in possession of Dr. Trap in the Natural History Museum. So uh, that really sets us up for our A-plot, which is... Harley Quinn needs to set up a heist. And who better to get in on a heist than Catwoman? Catwoman makes her debut the Gotham City Sirens ride again for this episode. And it was honestly, it was really freaking good. Um, 
Catwoman is so interesting. This take on her is really, she's very above it all. She's constantly stealing stuff. It's very in line with the classic interpretation of the character, which I really liked. Um, I also really liked how she was essentially Poison Ivy's friend and not really Harley's friend. Like they had never really met. And so immediately um, Harley is jealous of ivy's relationship with selena because ivy is very not so much confident but very um acclimated in her ways she's very set in her ways she knows what she likes and when selena comes along harley recognizes and realizes that ivy is almost i don't know how to describe it she's so insecure around selena that Anything and everything that Selena says and does, like, shifts Ivy's worldview. And watching Harley, like, kind of try to get around that, watching the two of them bounce off of each other, was really, really fun. We also got a great, in our B-plot, a great little Home Alone misadventure with the Riddler, who escapes from his uh, captivity literally one episode after being captured. Uh, and it's really just uh, a great moment for Dr. Psycho to realize that he might be in over his head with someone as clever as the Riddler. I really enjoyed their back and forth. Really, everybody at the hideout was well utilized for what story purposes they served in this episode. This really was a Harley and Ivy and Selena and Kite Man episode! That's right, motherfriggas. It's Kite Man. I have been waiting for Kite Man to show back up, and I was not disappointed. Uh, Kite Man's whole shtick for this episode was that he was, he was joining in on the heist for a ring because he wants to propose again to Poison Ivy, and honestly, it was really sweet. It was really freaking sweet, because you got to see Kite Man um, be more personable and less gimmicky, uh, and I mean, Kite Man just in the essence of his character is very gimmicky, but you got to see a lot of heart. You got to see why he loves Ivy, why their relationship works and why Ivy loves him. He's a sweet dude who really just wants the best for his lady. And I thought that was really cool. Um, him palling around with Harley, their little odd couple thing was really fun where kite man just has this fear of traps and constantly found himself being trapped inside of the museum. And Harley had to get, keep busting him out uh this also gave some really good i think some really good foreshadowing to what we've heard about which is that harley and ivy's relationship might become romantic uh because harley in kite man starts to see the things that she sees in ivy which was really cool getting to she finally has someone that she can share her at this point, platonic love of Ivy with. And even though she pretty much can't stand Kite Man at the beginning of the episode and is just like, you know, you could do so much better than him. Um, there's a moment where he's like, uh, I, I can't do better than her. And she is incredible and amazing. And Harley's just like, oh my God, he sees it too. He sees exactly what I'm seeing. And so there's a really nice camaraderie that came in with that. But... Hanging over the head of all of this in the back of my mind watching this, especially at the ending where 
Kite Man is able to propose a third time to Poison Ivy, and we don't really see what she says, but we can assume that she says yes. Um, kind of with knowing where their relationship is going to go, it kind of makes me think that he's going to die this season, and I don't want that to happen, but um, I guess we'll see. Overall, really, really strong episode. I really enjoyed it. Also, really good job setting up Catwoman as a potential uh, recurring character for the series, as well as Mr. Freeze as our next mountain to climb. Really enjoyed the episode. Looking forward to next week's episode. Uh, so yeah, tune in next week for that. I've been really enjoying the show so far. I think that the first season so far has been stronger for me, but I'm really enjoying the characters. I'm really enjoying the interpersonal relationships between those characters and the little mini stories. And I like that there's a goal that Harley is going to take on all of the members of this Injustice, Injustice League, kill them all, and then take control of Gotham. Like, that's the goal. We don't know if she's going to get it. We don't know what direction the story's going to go. But I'm really excited to find out. So that's going to do it for now. We are going to move on and roll on into this week's Comics Callback. Welcome back to this week's Comics Callback. This is the segment of our show where each week I talk about five comics that you should go back and read, whether it's on Comixology, the DC Universe app, or just going back to your shelf and dusting off your copy of the book. Last week we took a look at books of Daredevil, and this week category is the X-Men. da na 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 I know. I had to do it. I just, anytime I hear X-Men, even though my view of the X-Men has widened and broadened so much since originally discovering them through that show, that theme, that cartoon will always be burned into my mind. I love it so very much. So this week we're going to be talking about five X-Men comics that I think you should go back and check out. Whether you have read them already, whether you've never read them, um, they're definitely worth your time for sure. So we're going to kick off the list with the combination, the most recent on this list, which is Hox Pox, House of X slash Powers of Ten, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by R.B. Silva, as well as uh, Pepe Larraz. This book reconceptualizes, redefines, and reboots the X-Men franchise. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Face the future and fear the future. In House of X, Charles Xavier reveals his master plan for mutant kind. One that will bring mutants out of humankind's shadow and into the light once more. Meanwhile, Powers of Ten reveals mutant kind's secret history, changing the way you will look at every X-Men story here, before, and after. But as Xavier sows the seeds of the past, the X-Men's future blossoms into trouble for all of mutantdom. Stories intertwine on an epic scale as Jonathan Hickman reshapes the X-Men's past, present, and future. 
This book was incredible. We knew it was going to be good. It's Jonathan Hickman! But no one knew exactly how much this book would redefine the X-Men going forward. This book changed everything from past characters to the direction of mutants to what their places in the Marvel Universe now. This book shakes it up, gets you ready for the Dawn of X, and puts you in the spot where you are ready to jump right into the current X-Men books going on. If you have wanted, if you have been looking for a way to jump onto modern X-Men, this is where you do it. It's so freaking good. Moving on to number two. Number two on our list is X-Men 92, Volume Zero. This is very specific. Volume Zero, War Zones, is the volume that I am recommending from this run because I think it's arguably the best of this run. This is written by Chris Sims with art by Chad Bowers, and this, where the Hoxpox really um, redefined the book and is a great entry point for modern X-Men, this is a great entry point for what I consider to be classic X-Men, which is the early 90s. Um, this really gets you in the space to watch the uh, X-Men cartoon. If you have watched the X-Men cartoon before, this brings you right back to that world. It's so freaking good. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Previously on X-Men. Revisit a blue and golden age for the X-Men in Battleworld's most animated realm. The 90s-era team is as uncanny as ever. Professor X, Cyclops, Storm, Wolverine, Rogue, Gambit, and yes, Jubilee. And when that Clear Mountain Project purports to offer evil mutants a chance at rehabilitation, it's up to the X-Men to investigate. As things go wrong, they'll face some of their decade's fiercest foes, like Cyber and Omega Red. But who on Battleworld is the Shadow Queen? With the X-Men in deep trouble, will anyone step up to save the domain of Westchester from a future of fear and hatred? How about an X-Force 92 lineup featuring Cable, Deadpool, Domino, Psylocke, Archangel, and Bishop? Could this totally tubular tale be any more 90s? It's, it's, just, it's perfect. Um, this book basically took place during the Secret Wars event in 2015. Um, by the way, I'm going to be giving you all years for each book. 2019 for Hoxpox, 2015 for this book. Um basic premise behind secret wars everything was destroyed universes died dr doom reformed every single multiverse into a specific territory on battle world and in this uh this eight issue miniseries which you can find pretty much anywhere at this point um this brings you right back into the world of x-men and the animated series and it's a very uh specific delineation between the two because the 91 X-Men that was kicked off by uh, Claremont and Jim Lee really is very different to the animated series. The animated series um, 
the art style is similar, but they tell very different stories. And this one is very much the 92 animated series. So I would definitely check this out if you're a fan of that era. If you've wanted a window into classic X-Men, uh, you can also follow this up with the uh, follow with the um, following. Uh, series that came out after it but i would argue that it's not as strong as this eight issue miniseries was so that is why i recommend this wholeheartedly if you're an x-men fan who grew up during the 90s like i did you will want to read this book period next up on the list we have x-men age of apocalypse volume one alpha uh this really is your starting place for age of apocalypse that story uh 1995 was a huge year for the X-Men. The Age of Apocalypse broke record after record. Um, it's basically, it's written by quite a few. Uh, Scott Lobdell, Mark Wade, uh, Fabian Nicieza, Jeff Loeb, among others. We've got art by Andy Kuber. We've got art by Ron Garney. We've got art by Chris Bacalo. We've got art by Adam Kuber. All over the place, Age of Apocalypse really was just kind of a star-studded uh, cast of creators. And this story changed everything for the X-Men. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Charles Xavier is dead. Killed 20 years in the past during a time travel accident and the world created by his absence is a nightmare. Apocalypse rules with an iron fist, ruthlessly enforcing his dictum that only the strong shall survive. But hidden in Apocalypse's long shadow are a group of raging freedom fighters, led by Xavier's oldest friend, Magneto. The X-Men. When Bishop, last survivor of the true Marvel Universe, explains how the world went wrong, these embittered mutants and their tenuous allies must risk everything to put things right. So, honestly, this book was just... It was a revelation at the time. Um, and not just because it was a great book, but also because for me as a comic reader this was the first big book that was not just a singular was not just a singular corner of a specific dc universe like this was the first crossover i ever knew about or read about age of apocalypse reached all across the marvel universe we saw effects on spider-man we saw effects on the avengers the fantastic four everybody the age of apocalypse is that big x-men story that everyone wants to tell and everyone wants to read and see adapted and it was the comic that made me fall in love even more as a comic reader with the X-Men. And this book stretches all the way across. You get all corners of the Marvel Universe during this event. You get to see the roles kind of flip. Magneto is leading the X-Men in this book. You get to see um, characters who were former villains become teammates. You get to see former teammates become villains. Uh, this version of the Summers Brothers is probably one of my favorites. And it's just a fantastic crossover story that absolutely deserves its place on this 
this list. Uh, the first volume, Alpha, really sets off the whole thing, and what's great about it is the current version includes pretty much the first couple issues of every single comic that was featured in the Age of Apocalypse uh, crossover. So you're getting Generation Next, you're getting Astonishing X-Men, you're getting uh, Factor X, you're getting X-Man, Excalibur, all of that is included in here. So definitely check this out. Next up, we have what might be, it's tough, I, I would have to go back and look at it, but for me, it might be my favorite X book, and that is Uncanny X-Force. Now, this was written by Rick Remender, with art by Dromo Pena, Esad Ribic, Raphael Albuquerque, and others. Um, this book was the first comic that I read, the first comic run that I read from start to finish. Um, this this story, which takes place, um, or which was released in 2010 originally, is just a fantastic, dark X-Men story about the basically the strike force of the X-Men um, of the mutant world. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and we'll talk more about the book. Psylocke. Archangel, Deadpool, and Phantom X sign up for Wolverine's secret squad of assassins, but their first mission, to deal with the despot apocalypse reborn as an innocent child, casts a long shadow. As X-Force struggles to come to terms with their actions, startlingly familiar Deathlocks attack from the future, targeting Phantom X for an early execution. And when Archangel unravels, picking up where Apocalypse left off, X-Force must travel to the one place that holds the key to saving him. The Age of Apocalypse. So, if I did have a reading order in this, I would definitely read Age of Apocalypse before you read this, because this does a bunch of stuff that definitely spoils that book, but really touches back on it. But this book is one of the best X books that I've ever read. Period. Bar none. Uh, Rick Remender is a force when it comes to... No pun intended. Um... That was a complete accident, I'm sorry. Uh, is really just so good at writing the X-Men. He has such a great voice that makes each member of this team, Wolverine, Deadpool, Phantom X, Silex, Silex, Psylocke, Archangel, each of them has a different voice, each of them has a different utility, each of them has a different perspective. And if I was in charge of bringing X-Men to the MCU, this is how I would do it. This is how I would introduce these characters, by bringing in the X-Force, adapting stories from this run, because I think the character development that comes through in this, the stories that they tell, the ones that I touched on in the synopsis are just the first volume. Uh, the f it's Right now you can pick it up in two, uh, it's basically... Uncanny X-Force by Rick Remender, The Complete Collection. They're in two volumes. I've got both of those volumes. I love both of those volumes. I, I reread the first volume during this uh, self-isolation period, and it's just such a good book that really dives into the darker aspects of the X-Men. This is a... To set the stage for you, this force was 
brought together during the Utopia storyline, where by day, Wolverine is a teacher at um, at the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning, and Cyclops leads the other half of the X-Men on Utopia. But at night, at night, it's a different story. Uh the X-Force is basically the X-Men strike team that are sent out on missions that the X-Men can't publicly be seen doing. And so you get a lot of morally gray stories. You get a lot of dark character um, character studies on all of these flawed, messed up people. Uh, Wolverine has lifetimes of trauma that he needs to work through, and he works through them in this book. Deadpool. This is the most compelling Deadpool that I have ever read. This is a Deadpool who I am a fan of and is not just your surface level Deadpool that it seems like everyone wants to write or watch nowadays. This is a character, this is a Deadpool that has depth. This is a Deadpool that really makes you root for him. And it's really fun watching him kind of bumble his way through these stories while also you know being at the heart of the team which is such a strange thing to say uh it's a great character study on each of the on each of the members of the x-force and it's a great kind of tour of the marvel universe as well through the eyes of this black ops squad so i would absolutely recommend it to you um it's just fantastic viewing but for me the big book the book that i think if you're looking to jump into x-men right now that i think you should absolutely read is wolverine and the x-men written by jason aaron art by chris chris Bacalo. it is so freaking good and um also, uh, shoot, Nick Bradshaw. Have to talk about Nick Bradshaw as well. Him and Chris Bacalo really are the powerhouses on this team of creators. And man, I love this book. I love this book so much. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and I'll talk about the book. Born different? The Jean Grey School for Higher Learning is the place for you. A staff of experienced X-Men will teach you everything you need to know to survive in a world that hates and fears you. And your headmaster is none other than Wolverine. The best there is at what he does. Hope you survive the experience. Wolverine has taken half the X-Men back to Westchester to start over in a new school in a new mission. Schism tore them apart, but can Wolverine lead the new children of the Atom into the future? Only if they survive the new Hellfire Club and the return of another classic villain. So this book, this freaking book, might, is actually my favorite X-Men book. It is just so, it's so good. It's so good. I sing the praises of Jason Aaron a lot, whether it's his run of Thor, his run on um, on the Avengers, his just his work throughout all of the X-Men titles. But his I think his magnum opus really is Wolverine of the X-Men uh, after the events of Schism, where, as we discussed in the last uh, entry, Cyclops took half the X-Men to Utopia and Wolverine took half the X-Men back to uh, the Xavier Institute, which they rechristened the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. 
Wolverine has to step into a really unfamiliar role, which is him being the headmaster of this school. He essentially has to step into the role that Charles had and now finds himself in this weird space where people are looking to him for guidance. Uh, he's joined on the um, on the teaching staff by Beast, Kitty Pride, and Iceman, and watching these classic characters kind of mentor the characters and the X-Men of tomorrow is a really fun and engaging story. If you enjoy the concept of like um of the school aspect of the X-Men where it's like it's Harry Potter but with mutants, this is the book for you. If you like character studies on Wolverine, this is the book for you. If you like characters like Quentin Quire, who is an incredible character and no one will ever be able to tell me otherwise, this is the book for you. It's fun, it's dynamic, it's heartfelt, it's scary at times, and it provides exactly what the X-Men represent. It provides these characters who are hated and feared by most of the world especially at this point in their timeline and you get to watch them grow and develop in the pursuit of a better world it's a fantastic read that was i think cut a little short too soon um the follow-up wolverine in the x-men book isn't as good um and this book just has such a perfect like any jason aaron run i think at this point has such a great beginning middle and end that it is a fully fleshed out story that you can pick up read enjoy and set down it's an incredible story that provides a spotlight on the actual school aspect of the x-men school and watching them kind of juggle that alongside um their regular x-men duties is really fun this book also deals with bringing in characters from different backgrounds and i'm not just talking about you know different ethnicities we're getting different species here brew is introduced during this book and he is <sighs> i love brew i love brew man we also get to see uh, the son of Guardian from the Shi'ar Empire get to make an appearance here. He's fantastic. Um, you get all of these different characters who have different backgrounds. You get to watch them grow and develop. And the book, besides being incredibly fun, gets really dark at times. Like There are times that it's hard to read because you really get invested in these characters and you don't want anything bad to happen to them um, but this book also tracks through some of the most important moments of uh, the Marvel Universe. This book, during this run, uh, Avengers vs. X-Men happens, and Wolverine, who is both an Avenger and an X-Man, gets caught in the middle, and you get to see his reaction. So it's very much a book of the times. Uh, the original run of the series uh, started in 2012, and it feels like a current modern X-Men book, and is absolutely worth your time if you're looking to get into the X-Men and looking for... Not necessarily a light read, but a read that is fulfilling and enjoyable. So that's going to do it for this week's comics callback. To recap, we have Hoxpox, we've got X-Men 92 Volume 0, we have X-Men The Age of Apocalypse, we have Uncanny X-Force by Rick Remender, and Wolverine and the X-Men. I've been a huge fan of the X-Men for a very long time. Um, it's one of my first great loves when it comes to uh, 
comic books and superheroes. And so I think it's now is a better time than ever that to really dive into the Mary Marvel mutants. And these are the books that I think will help you do that. And that brings us to the wrap-up. That is it for this week's show. I would love to have a conversation with you on what you thought about the stuff that we talked about, whether you want to tell me that I am completely wrong for putting Daredevil above Watchmen, or whether you want to talk about your favorite X-Men books. Feel free to engage with us on social media, at Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Give us a follow. Um, also, feel free to reach out to us via email to geeksplain at gmail.com because of course I am an old man and I still read emails. Uh, if you liked what you heard this week, if this is your first time joining us, feel free to give us a subscribe and a rating, especially on iTunes. Giving us you know a five-star review both helps us out and also gets me to read your review on the podcast. So feel free to do that. It really helps us out just kind of grows our audience and gets us into the orbit of listeners just like you. Uh, next week, we are going to keep rolling on on the Geek Explain self-isolation saga. Um, it's been interesting, to say the least. Um, it's weird. The world seems crazier than ever, but I think right now... Stuff like podcasts, stuff like comic books are super valuable when it comes to staying sane. So um, I'll keep trucking along. It's been a weird week for me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, getting to um, really just kind of adjust to this quarantine normal, uh, I using air quotes, of course, um, has been weird, but also in a way um, really helps has been helping me to kind of refocus on stuff. When you're doing day-to-day -day life and you aren't able to commit as much time to creative stuff as you would like to, uh, it's times like this that really help to get you to just create and look at stuff that you enjoy. I have been just neck deep in Final Fantasy VII Remake for the past two weeks and I've been absolutely loving it. So I am really looking forward to continuing this on. I might do a full review, whether that's like an extra or a full-blown episode. I could easily see it being both. Um, so look forward to that in the near future, I think. But um, definitely tune in next week. We are continuing on and I'm pretty excited about next week's episode. So um, check in with that. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Uh -huh.